everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Amanda Perry podcast with me, Amanda Perry. Thank you for joining us this week. If you're listening in real time, it is May and the weather has just turned beautiful, which makes such a difference, doesn't it? Oh my goodness. Although actually it was still a bit grey last week, but this week is looking to be hot, hot, hot. So I'm really happy about that. If you are not listening in real time and you're listening at some point in the future, then I hope the weather's really nice for you too, because it makes you feel so good. Uh, another week in D2C land, isn't it? Another crazy week where people are really, really starting to feel it. Um, and I guess the good thing is I have, you know, a very privileged position of speaking to hundreds and hundreds of brands each week. And there's definitely some lessons that I can pass on. Um, I had a chat with a very good friend of mine the other day who has an incredible business um, and she actually said to me, I've been seeing you on Instagram and you're talking about ads as if they don't work anymore, like our ads work really, really well. So first of all, ads do work. I don't, I, I I never say that ads don't work. Like they do work for every business. What I, what I do say is it's about finding how they work for your business. And maybe they're not working in the same way as they were in 2020. And that obviously is for a number of reasons. Um, namely iOS, that definitely has impacted how we retarget the data that we have available to actually find people and then follow them around the internet, which actually is uh, no bad thing in my book. Um, And also from a consumer behaviour point of view, so people who are actually online uh, through lockdown who were buying everything online and now not online all the time which is also a great thing but has obviously had a really really huge impact on um, sales which is not a good thing so I was talking to my friend and you know there's some real key takeaways that I think we can all take from her business so if you don't follow six stories official on Instagram then please please go and fo- go and follow them They've just hit 100,000 um, this week, 100,000 followers in a time when everyone's saying engagement is awful, it's it's fallen through the floor and um, they've grown, they've grown like 10,000 just in the last, the last couple of months. So there's real, real lessons to be taken away. And I think the key thing for me, and I'll be really honest, is when I've spoken to, to my friend who owns it before, I've always said oh it's like it's really niche like they're literally just talking to brand to brides um and for me that's like a very short lifespan I've worked with bridal companies before where that has been the issue that you only have that really really short lifespan to speak to them and then there's no repeat from them because they're married um, but actually, that's turned out to be the absolute genius thing because they've managed to build this incredible community of just lovely, lovely girls. They they know their consumer inside out. They know exactly who she is, what she loves, how she wants to be spoken to, the words she uses, the things she wants to buy. And they can provide that for her as well as this amazing community, amazing cons- customer service. And just this really, really lovely uh, experience around the whole thing. So that has absolutely um, been the the saviour for their business. And I just think there's some real key lessons there. And when people, maybe you're sat there thinking, you know, my sales have really dropped and my people aren't buying my product anymore. And I'd really urge you to go back and look at who you're speaking to, how you're speaking to them, and also what you're providing for them. Is it still relevant? And if you're one of those people who started the business because it's something that either you love to create or it was a gap in the market that you found just just really check that that gap in the market's still there because if it isn't then maybe your struggles aren't you know the world and everything around us maybe the struggles are the actual offer and and you know what you're offering and how you're offering it 
So that would just be a real key takeaway for me, for me and something I thought I would just pass on to you and will hopefully help you too. This week, I am speaking to the wonderful Jill Whitty Collins, who has written a book called Why Men Win at Work. And I would really urge you to read it, whether you're a man, a woman, a feminist, not a feminist. It's a fascinating book all about how... So Jill was worked her way, she'll tell you all about it, but worked her way really high up at Procter & Gamble and didn't notice any of these issues for a long time and actually had, you know, quite a stereotypical view of, like, feminists and, um, you know, the things that they were concerned about. And then she, she talks in the book about how she really started to see these behaviours from men that weren't about bum-grabbing or, you know, name-calling or sweethearts or darlings or anything in the office. It was really subtle, systemic kind of behaviour um, that she addressed. And you'll hear how that went down in the podcast. She is fascinating. Her story's amazing. Um, the book is incredible. And I'm really proud to say that it was a man in my team that recommended it to me following a conversation we'd had about some fairly unfair behaviour that was happening and I said I don't think this would be happening if I was a man and he recommended the book to me so I'm really really proud of that I'm really grateful to Rylan for recommending it um but I highly recommend it for you why men win at work Jill Whitty Collins she has an amazing story which we're going to get into now so without any further ado I'm going to hand over to the podcast this week and introduce you to Jill. Have a great week. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, it would be amazing if you left us a little review, subscribed, even shared it on social. The more people that can hear this story, the better. So I really hope you enjoy the show and have a great week. Hi, Jill. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for inviting me. Not at all. It's an absolute pleasure. So I got in touch with you after I started reading your book. When I posted it online, I think I was a chapter in and I was just kind of, you know, when you read something and you think, oh, I didn't like, this is exactly what I've been thinking. I didn't know other people were thinking it too. And it really stuck, it struck such a chord with me. And I think, I think one of the things that, that's kind of stayed with me is just how far into a, a really successful corporate career it was before you really started noticing this stuff. And, and I find that really fascinating. So I think it'd be good to kind of start at the beginning. Can you like recap your, your career and the journey to uh, understanding, understanding the, the, the feminism and sexism issues that you came across? Yeah, sure. You know, as, as I say in the book, I, you know, I absolutely was not always such a gender equality warrior um, <laughs> at all. Um, and I was, you know, I was uh, born near Liverpool. I was uh, went to a mixed comprehensive school and my parents, my family, my school brought me up to believe that I was the equal of any boy, any man. I didn't even question it. Didn't even no. question that anyone might ever not, you know, see me on an equal footing. Um, and I continued to believe that for a really long time. It just, you know, I, I personally never saw the issue. And I know many women see the issue much, much earlier than I did. I consider myself very lucky um, in that, you know, I went to um, Cambridge. I went to work at PNG straight after um, Cambridge in the, I came up through the marketing function and was promoted to brand manager, marketing director, managing director, general manager, senior vice president. Wow. And it was, you know, loved it. Yeah. And up until the director level, um, well into the director level, um, I personally didn't didn't feel it as a barrier at all to be uh, not a man um, and then I saw it and it really was when I got to that senior vice president level um, that I so you know we're talking early 40s um, yeah. that I I entered a male dominant culture 
for the first time in my career and actually for the first time in my life it was literally the first time in my life that I found my found myself in rooms board meetings exec meetings full of men um 80 percent men Mm. and it was like landing on a different planet for me I just never experienced that before and it was um at first it didn't bother me because you know why would it I, I genuinely just thought well men women whatever gender you know yeah. who cares yeah. Yeah. and then I very quickly realized oh this is a thing there is something mm. going on here I really felt the impact um I could see the impact it had on the women around me they were very mm. different in that male dominant culture um and I became fascinated by it um absolutely fascinated by what is this what's causing it I am the same person I am the same person I've always been I'm saying the same things I've always said doing things the way I've always done them it's always worked really well for me but not here it's not working the same way here so fascinated fascinated was my reaction read lots of books articles devoured stuff and really wanted to educate myself on it and learned a lot and yeah then that's really when I became um such a feminist um and I mean feminist in the real sense of the word somebody who believes in equality who believes in equal opportunity who -hmm. believes that it it just isn't right that Mm -hmm. 50% of the population hey we are 50% of the population we're not a minority we're 50% of the population. You know, I know we're equally intelligent, we're equally competent, we're equally capable. We can lead, it's proven, our leadership ability is, is equal. So it isn't right that we end up as less than 10% of the leadership of the world. That just cannot be right. And it isn't right, and it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. No. A world no. run by over 90% men. I love men. They shouldn't be in over 90% of leadership positions, though. It doesn't work. The world doesn't work. I believe it would be better if we had 50% representation. So I became very passionate about it. And I felt I'd learned lots of things um, from personal experience that I thought were really worth sharing, that I thought people would recognize. And they'd say, oh, you know, yes, this happened to me. And that men would say, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. And that's exactly what does happen when people read the book. So... Uh, so I'm glad I'm glad that I took the time out to do it. I made myself a promise when I was in that job that the first thing I would do when I left was to write a book and share share what I'd learned and hope that it could help us make some progress. And and I'm I'm sure it will. I think it's uh, the 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 approach in the book is so different to anything that I've ever read because I think as you say, there's no it's not angry, it's not sensationalist, it's not saying. Uh, you know, kind of playing on the, any of the old feminist stereotypes. It's it's calling out the facts and saying that that this isn't fair and it's not effective. It really interests me that you only noticed it when you got to kind of director level. And I wonder if, well, I'm I'm assuming that is because at director level it's so male dominated. But it feels like in corporations often it's much lower than that that you would get this. Um, or maybe you just hadn't recognised it right, which is kind of what you say, isn't it? That you just hadn't noticed it until that point where it was so male-dominated. I think I was lucky, and I think I was lucky because of the the function I came through, which was marketing, which was up until a pretty senior level, quite balanced, pretty balanced Mm -hmm. from a gender point of view. And my my company, um, P&G, you know, they are one of the better companies um, for Mm -hmm. focus on this. So I think my experience was that um, it took a lot longer through that function in that company to reach that male dominant level. I would say that eventually you reach it pretty much everywhere. But Mm. I think in some companies, it takes longer before the women have kind of drifted away. And in some companies it happens. I mean, some companies it's right at recruitment level. Right. So Mm. I know it's, I know some women experience gender inequality, the issues, the barriers, the male dominant culture much, much, much earlier than I did. Mm-hmm. And um, I consider myself very lucky that it it took me so long. Um, but then you know what, if I'd, if I'd hit it earlier, I, I maybe would have started working on doing something about it earlier. So, uh, yeah. um, but 
but here I am, here I am now. And I think your point about anger is really important. It was, it was so key to me when I was writing Why Men Win at Work that it should not be an angry book. You know, mm. that I've read a lot of stuff and I've read many brilliant, brilliant books about gender inequality, feminism. But honestly, most of them, I think are quite alienating to men. I yeah. think that if you're a man, you're going to be, if you pick it up at all, you're going to get to page two and you're going to throw it away and never look at it again because mm-hmm. they're angry and they're angry for very good reason. But when did we ever win a discussion or make progress with anger? We never, we never did. So it was really important to me to write it in a way, of course, it's, of course it's for women and most women are, you know, like you, nodding 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 at every page and saying oh you know thank goodness somebody else sees it too but um really important to me that men did the same and I really wanted to sort of take men by the hand and say I know that you think this and I know that this is your perception and I know that your perception is that this isn't an issue anymore but it really is let me show Mm -hmm. you why and I know that it's your perception that maybe it happens for these reasons but it isn't, let me show you why. And to really, you know, have a conversation with them via the book and to listen to the thinking and then respond in a way that they would um, feel like, okay, I get it. And, and I do get the feedback from lots and lots of men who've read it who say, I didn't get this before. It's the first time I've ever really understood this issue. And I understand what to do about it now. So that was really important to me. And, you know, I wrote, there were some days when I would write and write for hours and I was angry about something and then the next day I'd go back to it and I'd say you need to rewrite that because cathartic as it was to write it that way that's not gonna win the argument with any man so Mm. you need to rewrite that in a way that a man's gonna get to the end of that and say okay I get it Jill I get it so it's quite a bit of rewriting but yes I definitely had some cathartic days I can imagine Sure. yeah it's like like writing out that angry email that you know you'll never send but you just need yes. to get it out of you yeah sometimes you need to and I think many books out there you know maybe they just thought you know what I'm just I'm not going to delete that email I'm going to just put it out there but this book it's deliberately called why men win at work right it's deliberately men in the title yeah uh, men winning it is it is absolutely written for men as much as yeah. For women. Because you know what? Men have 90%, as we've said, of the power in the world. They make over yeah. 90% of the decisions or they influence pretty much 100% of any mm. decision that's made in this world. So we women, we can talk to each other as much as we like about this. But until men get this, champion this, become my feminists, as I call them, we will get absolutely nowhere. Yeah, absolutely nowhere without them. So we gotta we gotta have a constructive discussion. Yeah, it's a joint thing. Well, you'll be really happy to hear that it was a man who recommended the book to me. Excellent. It was a man who works for me, and we were talking about an issue that was going on in the business, and he said to me, "It's normally me saying this. This wouldn't have happened if you're a man." He said, "I'm reading this book. I think you should read it." So job done Jill job done excellent well I, I love this man he sounds like one of my feminists so let's yeah, get he, he definitely is he definitely is and I think that's the thing isn't it when we think about like the me too movement and all the you know not all men it's kind of that that mindset isn't it that feeling attacked and writing a book that is angry and is just attacking men is never we're never going to get to the point we need to get to which is everyone working together to reach equality not to reach oh women want all of the power you know we want equality we just want to be equal I know and it, it is you know um well you know two things on that I mean one of my least favorite you know that you see all the posts are all the kind of popular feminist posts aren't there there's one you will have seen it keeps popping up the future is female I hate yeah. it yeah I I, I, I hate it. it 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 does it just does not do gender equality any favors at all no. the future is not female for me this that 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 post should say the future is equal that's yeah. what we want I, yeah. I genuinely believe that if I was living in a world uh, in the future 
which was run over 90% by women. I would like to believe that I would be fighting for equality and I would be saying, yeah. this is not representative. We are not representing men. We are, this is not diverse enough. Um, we are missing things. Mm. I believe in equality. I, I, yes, of course I believe in men. Sorry, of course I believe in women. But I also believe in men. I believe in all genders. Ultimately, I believe in equality. And what I don't believe in is any gender, any gender dominating leadership decisions policies strategies plans i think that's when we get into trouble and the other thing obviously you know talking about about me too i um it's it's obviously a very controversial area but uh, and it was very necessary and it's been um incredibly important for women but i think what we do have to remember is it is still a tiny minority of men who do evil things, mm. right? I think sometimes mm. we talk as if, um, you know, we get very angry with, with men for, for the things that go wrong and quite rightly, but I do think it's important to remember, I do believe the majority of men are good and decent. They, mm. they don't, they're, they're not violent. They're not sexual aggressors. Um, and they don't wake up in the morning, jump out of bed and think about how they can destroy women, how do how they can destroy women's careers, how they can destroy the patriarchy, all of those things. Mm. And I, I think that by only focusing on the very extreme issues, and we have to focus on them until, until yeah. they're gone, we do. But by only focusing on that, I think we give a little bit of a get out clause it's it's almost a well I don't do that and so mm -hmm. I don't need to engage with the gender equality discussion it's like oh absolutely you do mm -hmm. you know I would say to any man I'm I'm sure you're not doing these horrendous things but I can promise you that without realizing it you are contributing unconsciously mm -hmm. to gender inequality mm -hmm. um yeah. you are and yeah. you need to be engaging with that and not deprioritizing it because you you know you're not a bad man you're not a bad man but you're not necessarily um a feminist and that's what I need you to be yeah and that's what I loved about the book so much you say it really early in the book that it's not about the the bum pinching and the inappropriate comments and the you know darling and, and sweetheart at work it's about the insidious systemic stuff that isn't about following people on the street or deciding to you know be a predator towards women it's the stuff that I grew up in a household where it wasn't said but the whole thing was you know as long as the men were happy and looked after then then it's okay and that's very much you know it's 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 systemic isn't it so men thinking that because they don't follow women down the street or you know aren't assaulting women then then it doesn't apply to them are yeah very very misled aren't they and really need that's to look at, at that and that's, that's the danger about only having that conversation yes we have to have that conversation but we have to make the conversation much, much broader because yeah. it, it makes it too easy for, for men to opt out if they're not at that extreme of the mm -hmm. spectrum. And it is absolutely, you know, I, I understand that there are still companies where that old school bum pinching, tapping, tapping your ass at the photocopying machine does still happen. I have to say, you know, I, I, I really don't think that still happened um, at mine. It's certainly not to me, but then, you know, I was... I was quite old by the time I, I left there, but I think um, what we're dealing with now in most places is in many ways more difficult because mm. it is, it's unconscious, it's yeah. invisible, yeah. it's unintended. Um, you know, the thing about somebody making a really sexist comment overtly is everyone can hear it and most people know it's not appropriate and you can deal with it. Mm. Um, the problem with all of the what why men would at work is about is the why right that's yeah. what fascinates me why yeah. does this happen despite the fact that most people are not really doing that stuff anymore and they don't have bad intentions most men don't mm -hmm. have bad intentions and that's a combination of really complex invisible unconscious forces 
um, mm. that we can talk about. Um, but by definition, because they're unconscious and invisible, they're very, very difficult to get hold of and to call out and to deal with. But on the positive um, front, we can. Once we understand yeah. them, we can, we can deal with them. But quite a lot of work needs to be done um, mm. on ourselves as individuals. Men need to do a lot of work. Teams need to do a lot of work to really understand them and to say, okay, what are we going to do to make sure that those forces don't control us? Because they will. The invisible mm. forces control our perceptions of people, of their performance, of who is the best performer, of who, who we should promote, who we should give the job to. And we are absolutely convinced that by those perceptions, even when they are absolutely wrong. And we are mm. so often led to believe that we should choose a man when actually we should have been choosing a woman. Did you ever get to the point? Because one of the things that I started noticing after I'd read the book was just how many times I did it. You know, I, I, we all do it, don't we? We all have this, this construct around us that we would lean in the same direction. Our idea of success is the same, which is, you know, misogynistic as it is. And uh, I always think about um, Dragon's Den. You'd look at Deborah Meaden and not so much now. She's softened a lot, hasn't she? But she was like the bitch and aggressive and, you know, ambitious, whereas... Peter Jones was successful and, you know, had his, had this career sorted and there's very, very different standards. Did you, going through writing the book, did you have to challenge a lot of your, like, internal beliefs that, that were invisible to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what's really interesting about this is it's not just men who mm. are biased against mm. women or biased towards men. We're all biased towards yeah. men in many ways because we're programmed from birth, pretty much from birth. As soon as we mm. start watching TV or films or our screens, we start getting programmed in the stereotypes of what a man is, what a woman is, what a leader looks like, what a leader mm. talks like, where you see women, where you see men, all of that stuff I mean there's the amazing Gina Davis Institute research which proves just what a tiny tiny percentage of screen time women get mm. of um of um dialogue women get and really importantly how what a tiny percentage of times they're seen in leadership positions mm. versus a massive percentage of times that they're seen in the kitchen in the bedroom in all of those places so we're all being programmed it's not just men and then we go through life and the self-fulfilling prophecy and all the invisible forces keep reinforcing this state of over 90 percent of leadership is men whether it's in mm. business in sport in politics wherever it is and so we're constantly getting reinforcements of the man as leader um and the woman, not as leader, the woman are in supporting role, or the woman, mm. maybe she's there in the meeting or on the team, but she's in such a male dominant culture that her ability to really perform and impress in that culture um, mm. is, is really limited. You know, culture, I, I call it the invisible power of culture. If mm. a male dominant culture makes it easier for men to relax, be confident and to perform. And it makes yeah. it much more difficult for women who are not part of that culture to do the same. So all of these things are acting on all of us, not just the men. So yes, you're right. I think as, as women, we can just as easily be absolutely convinced that Tom is the strongest performer by all of these things, when actually so many of our biases and the invisible power of culture, the competence versus confidence equation, we're so influenced yeah. by confidence, that we love confidence. We are so often convinced that the person who's more confident is the better performer, mm. when actually confidence has nothing to do with competence. It has absolutely nothing to do with competence. And we know that there's so many reasons that start but right back at school and before women are less confident than men. So if we're mm. biased towards the confidence, we're going to 
often, you know, not look behind that confident curtain and not see the incredible competence of some of the of, of the women who are not projecting themselves confidently and maybe not projecting mm. themselves at all. So, so absolutely, yes, we are all um, we are all victims of these invisible forces that are not our fault. They are acting on us since the beginning of time. They are self-fulfilling prophecies. Um, but I think what is our responsibility is to be aware of them. And I think the one thing I would say is it's potentially easier for women to be aware of them because we are, you know, maybe more conscious of, you know, of, of a male-dominant culture than mm. a man in a male-dominant culture. Although some men will tell you that they don't feel comfortable in a male-dominant culture either. That's a whole um, separate discussion. So I think as women, it's poten potentially our awareness is more heightened um, if we've mm. experienced this stuff. There are some women who reject this completely. I call it feminist phobia. That's a whole... Um, other discussion um, but I think um, yes potentially it's uh, women have the responsibility for because we are more conscious of it of raising it but yeah. equally as I said we need men to see it because if it is just women talking about gender equality we don't get anywhere I think what's really important is it's not seen as a women's issue it's yeah. seen as an issue for everyone, an opportunity for everyone. Mm. But um, mm. but yeah, I mean, women are fulfilling this prophecy as much as men are, yeah. right? There are yeah. many women who do make it to the top, who do absolutely nothing to hold the ladder down for mm. other women. So yeah. um, it's a very, very complex one and all genders are responsible for perpetuating it and all genders are responsible for uh, addressing it and making progress I think yeah no I agree when you when you reached that director level when you started noticing this was it something that you called out did you start having those conversations with your male colleagues or was it just something that was kind of brewing and and you were thinking about to yourself and discussing with friends I mean honestly for me it was um it wasn't direct at director level in my context, it was very gender equal. Um, okay. I was, um, it was very, very balanced. And I, I can honestly say that um, up until that point, I, I never, I really didn't feel that if I was sitting in meetings, I was seeing as many women as men. And if anyone yeah. was done discussion it was the women and it was me so I, um, <laughs> but when you did start noticing when it, I started to see it was senior vice president level okay. and that was when I started to see the board meetings exec meetings 80% plus men and yeah absolutely I mean as I said the first thing my first response was fascination I wanted to understand it I read a lot of stuff I researched a lot um, but yeah absolutely as I started to see it and understand it I was raising it I ran a um, a network called Women's Hour which you know with hindsight it was at the time you know men were invited it was very um, obviously because of the title women um, were, were more drawn to it but I you know we absolutely there we talked about the issues um, and I yes I absolutely did raise it but this is a very interesting one because you know I, I was I was a senior vice president I was mm -hmm. I was at a pretty senior level, mm. um, I really felt that I was in a position where I could where I could raise these things and make a contribution. And I have to tell you that I was taken aside by a very senior person who said to me, "You should really back off on this women's stuff. It doesn't it doesn't look good." And of course, I didn't back off. Um, but then I don't work there anymore, so. Of course I didn't back off, but I think that's really important because I think women are getting this message either directly or indirectly every day. Yeah. And I think as women are progressing, they are picking up this message that it's much better for them to focus on the business rather than mm -hmm. on gender equality. And that somehow they need to become one of the lads and that by actually talking about this stuff, you know, oh my goodness, you are actually drawing attention to the fact that you are a woman. 
and that mm. you have got to this level as a woman and that you actually believe that we should have more women at this level. You really don't want to be doing that because there's almost this sense of, hey, you snuck in, you've snuck yeah. in, good for you. Don't ruin, don't ruin it for yourself by making us all uncomfortable with this conversation. And honestly, that's happening to women. I know it's happening to women everywhere. And I think you have to choose your reaction to that. I think you can either do what unfortunately many women do, which is to develop feminist phobia and to mm. say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm one of the lads and I don't think this is an issue anymore. And we've got bigger priorities. Mm. Or you can say, no, no, absolutely. Um, I, I've made it this far and I have a responsibility to support other women because I believe that we need more women up here. But I can mm. say that you have to do that in a very smart way because mm. you don't, if only women are talking about this, it gets absolutely nowhere. What we need, we need men. I, if I had my time again, I would spend a lot more of it really um, talking with and creating more feminists around me because there is a huge difference. And I hate to say this, a woman raises a gender inequality point in a meeting versus a man raises a gender equality point in a meeting. The reaction and response to that is completely different. Mm -hmm. The woman raises it, it's self-serving. The man raises it, it's an issue and an opportunity that we should all be thinking about. Mm -hmm. I hate that that is true, mm -hmm. but being realistic, it is. So that's that's why we just, we have to get more men, more feminists on board um, and speaking up. Uh, it is yeah. so powerful when they do that. So, so yeah. powerful. What what advice would you give to someone who is in, at that such a senior level? Because um, there's an element of, you know, you're at a senior level, slightly older, been in the career, been in your job a long time, very comfortable in the company. What advice would you give to younger women who are seeing this and and are in that position where they know that if they make a fuss or if they you know bring this up as an issue they're likely to be confronted with that you know you really shouldn't go there kind of attitude how 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 are women younger women or women further down the career ladder meant to address that would you say so I, I would say two things um I would say firstly you know learn from me um yes stand up for this it's really important it's not just important for you it's important for society I think but um recognize that you won't um you won't crack this on your own you won't crack this own mm. on your own at your level you won't crack this on your own with other women at your level you won't crack this on your own at any level so recognize that and get some men get some men on board go to Go to the go to the most senior man you know who you think is either a feminist or has the potential to be one, and work with him. Get him to see it, and then get him to help you get more. Um, you need to you need change. Gender equality starts at the top. I do a workshop on this. You need change to come from the top, and you need men to be part of that. So mm. so so do that. Um, obviously the women as well, but you're going to need the men. Um, the second thing I would say is ultimately, and this is brutal, but um, don't waste too much of your precious time, mm -hmm. energy and life trying to change a male dominant culture yourself. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, a dominant culture is only changed by itself. It has to choose to change itself and it has to choose to change itself by choosing to no longer be a dominant culture, right? Mm -hmm. It has to, somebody at a very senior level in that culture, leading that culture has to understand that this is not good. I mm -hmm. am limiting the performance of everyone who's not part of this culture. I don't want this dominant culture. I'm actually going to break it up and create a significantly more diverse culture. Mm. That leader has to do that. 
that man has to do that. That man has to do that with his leadership team. Do not waste too much of your time trying to change it. Ultimately, mm-hmm. yes, try. But ultimately, if you find yourself in a male dominant culture where you don't feel you can perform, you don't feel you can focus on your own strengths, you feel like you're being forced to fit in, which by the way is a disaster because we only succeed by bringing our own strengths. Mm. Um, You don't feel that you are valued, you don't feel that you are fully leveraged. Don't spend too long there. At some point, walk away. Take your talent and your strengths and your brilliance somewhere else where the culture will see you, recognize you, allow you to be yourself, bring yourself, and will think that that's absolutely brilliant. I would say to every young woman, every woman who's looking for a new role, whether returning to the career or transitioning Mm -hmm. in a career, um, ask some serious questions of the potential employer. Really, really, really you know ask the kind of questions that you'd make about you know potential partner or a potential friend um is this culture really going to is it going to be a dominant culture or is it going to be a culture where I can truly perform and be myself Mm. and ask yeah ask some killer stuff have a look ask the real questions if you get warning signs that there is sexism or a lack of focus on equality and diversity in that culture, there probably is. Go find another one. Uh, take mm-hmm. your talent and your brilliance to the right places. That's what women who are truly successful do. You know, I interviewed um, a lot of what I call super 7% women for uh, Why Men Win at Work, the chapter called The Women mm-hmm. Who Win at Work, because there are some women who win at yeah. work. And yeah. they had many things in common, but this was one of them. They knew their strengths. They knew what they were brilliant at. They got themselves into cultures where that was valued and leveraged and they didn't have to try to be anything they weren't. Mm -hmm. And if they found themselves in a culture that didn't, they walked away and they had the confidence in themselves to know that their strengths were really important and that there was a place where they really belonged and Mm -hmm. they went and found it. I have such such admiration for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's so powerful. I think um, big picture. There's everyone knows big picture. Women have a rough deal in terms of. I was watching the news this morning, and there was a woman. They were fighting for um, HRT medication for menopause. There was women, a woman who was suicidal because she she was it was affecting her that badly. She couldn't get the treatment that she needed. I heard a statistic this week that 58% of women who return to the workforce after having kids are forced out one way or another because of judgment. And we all know uh, the gender pay gap is going to take 100 years to to um, to correct or, or find equality. Do you do you ever feel like you're fighting a losing battle or that the turning circle is just just too big to to navigate? There are, there are depressing days, right? Of course, there, there are depressing moments um, every every year when the gender pay gap report is published. It, it, it's a bad day. And one of the reasons it's a bad day is, is how few are actually reporting unless they have to. Mm. Um, I So yes, there are bad moments, but... Um, I remain optimistic because there there are some great signs. Um, I think the massive thing for me is, and the reason I do this, the reason I talk about this, is this actually this concept that is out there of this will write itself naturally, mm-hmm. and it won't. So actually, when the World Economic Forum say we won't reach equality for 135 years, it really irritates me because Mm. it creates this sense that, yeah, okay, that's a long time, but you know what, it's going to happen. I really don't believe it's true. I really believe that it will either never happen because 
all of these invisible unconscious forces, the invisible power of culture, the competence versus confidence equation, the umbrella theory, the time issue, the parental issue, all of those things will just keep combining to create the self-fulfilling prophecy that we have men in leadership and, and the women drift away. Or we will truly and deeply understand those things and we will make manual interventions and intentional interventions to address them and if we do that we can transform things incredibly quickly mm. so for me my optimism comes from I understand why this happens uh, events have led me to understand really deeply why this happens and why when why men win at work despite everyone's intentions that things are equal i understand why and i really really believe that if everyone can understand why we can work on every single one of those forces and we can fix them mm. so i'm optimistic because i know there's an answer and then there are bad days when i think oh really too few people understand and know the answer but then you know what the next day I get up and I say okay who can we who can we get on board today how many feminists can we get on board today how many women can we um, talk today out of their feminist phobia and get them to say yes I am um, I believe in this and this is something that I'm willing to support and champion mm. So that that's what keeps me keeps, you going. keeps me positive. We can we can change the world. We mm. just have to believe that it's worth it. Mm. And we have to understand how to do it. Yeah, it reminds me of um, there's a saying is I can't remember when I first heard it, but it was after some kind of world disaster talking about, you know, it's like turning up at an earthquake with a dustpan and brush and this idea that it's completely pointless. And I went straight to, you know, if everyone turned up with a dustpan and brush, we'd get it done. <laughs> You'd clear the earthquake up. And I guess it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's everyone doing their bit because there's real fundamental stuff like women are always going to be the people that have the children and and are potentially the the caregiver and there's there's real fundamental stuff to get past isn't there but if we can all do it together and your army of feminists and they're they're passing it on to you know their sons and then then we can get there can't we yeah absolutely and you know i really challenge the you know i think what one of the 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 big things that people always say to me, men say to me, even some women say to me, is, is this, this parental, you know, mum, caregiver thing. Um, and the assumption that, you know, women will always carry the burden of that. And we know that absolutely today they do. I mean, it's, mm. you know, about 80% on average of the burden of the family, the home, childcare is, is carried by women. But it really doesn't have to be that way, right? Of course, there's a physical, there's a there's a physical thing, right? There is a physical mm. thing that, that the woman, you know, and who knows what will happen in the future, but for now that the woman, the woman has to deliver. But beyond that, the rest can be gender neutral, right? Sure. Beyond yeah, yeah. the beyond the pre-labor preparation, the labor, the post-labor recovery. The rest can be gender neutral. And here's the thing. Most men I know, most dads I know want it to be gender neutral, right? They want to be dads. They don't yeah, want to yeah. be, they don't want to spend their entire careers at work missing out on their kids. I cannot tell you how many men, you know, I, I, one of the things I bang on about is we will never be 50-50 at work until we're 50-50 at home. And I, mm. you know, give men a hard time about that. I cannot tell you how many men write to me and say, Jill, I want to be, I want to be 50-50 at home. I, I want, I want to do that. But my employer is not supporting that. They mm. are, when it comes to parental policies, when it comes to parental leave, when it comes to flexible work, even if the policy says they're gender neutral, there are serious raised eyebrows if I ask mm. for it. There are questions 
posed about my commitment to my career that just do not get posed to a woman. That has got to change, right? I say to every employer out there, you need gender neutral, flexible work and parental policies. And that means not just on paper, but in practice. In practice, you have urgently got to get to the point where whoever is sitting in front of you, whatever gender they are, asking to take up those policies, your answer is the same and it is yes. Mm -hmm. And you have not a flicker in your face of judgment about that, depending on what their gender is. Because it is, of course, these things are personal choices. And, and if a woman wants to do it, that's brilliant. But if a man wants to do it, that's brilliant too. And we've got to enable that. And, you know, I have friends who, there are, there are obviously, you know, some Sweden has a gender neutral parental leave. Um, mm. But even there, I have a friend who wanted to take it up, but faced serious raised eyebrows and was considering, you know, he told me, I'm going to take, I'm going to take it. Jill, but I'm going to take half of my entitlement and I'm going to tell them that it's a sabbatical because I don't want them to think anything. And I said, I need you to do something for me. I need you to take it. I need you to take it in entirety. I need you to tell everyone you're taking it and why you're taking it. And when you come back, I need you to tell everyone about it because we need role models doing this. And uh, yeah. Uh, bless him he did and he and he said it was absolutely mm-hmm. life-changing as 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 men do so um so yes I, I bang on about the um about the parental thing because I think it's really important I think it's so important that we differentiate between things that are true gender differences mm-hmm. um, and there are not many you know things that can be done cannot be done should be true should not be true um Mm. and things that actually are just we've been programmed into thinking them and you know there's a fantastic piece of data that at the beginning of careers women are just as likely to aspire to the senior uh, position in their organization as men but after about 10 years that radically opens up so that's not because women didn't want to be leaders. It's no, because no. all of these forces have worked on them and frankly exhausted them and persuaded mm. them. Do you know what? I'm not sure I fancy carrying on with that anymore. Mm. That's, mm. Tr- that's tragic, isn't it? It's yeah. not for everyone. But you know what? If, it, if leadership is for you, whatever gender you are, I want to see you up there. And I don't want these mm. invisible forces um, getting in the way and I love your dustpan and brush um, example because you're so right you're mm. so right if everyone yes yes things look hopeless but if ev- if everyone brings a dustpan and brush you know what we, we can do we can do anything and the problem mm. is that not enough of us turn up with the dustpan and brush often mm. enough in these situations isn't it but Here's the thing, and this is another thing that keeps me optimistic. Um, I know I can't change the world. I would love, you know, one of the things I do is is, is I'm a consultant. I I work with companies um, to drive their gender equality when they know they want it, but they they don't know how to get it. Um, I know I can't work with every company and organization in the world in the time I have on this planet. Mm. I wish that I could. But here's the thing. What I know is everyone that I work with becomes a role model and and an example that somebody else wants to follow. Because Mm. here's the thing. Gender equality drives results. It drives performance. It drives business results. And who doesn't want that? So Mm. I really believe that I take my dustpan and brush to a company and an organization and I help them clear up they start to deliver some pretty amazing things. Other people get envious of that uh, and they want that as well. And mm-hmm. it's that domino effect. I, I won't have a dustpan and brush for everyone, but hopefully other people can come bring, bring theirs. And um, it's a domino effect. This yeah. will be a yeah. domino effect, but it, it's got to start with a few brave companies 
putting themselves on the line and really making it happen and making it happen doesn't mean I don't want to hear about 30%. If I see one more company celebrating the fact they've got 30% women on their board, I'm going to scream. I'm not interested in 30%. I'm interested in 50%. And um, let's start getting some there. The rest will follow. And I think for companies and organizations, the question is, do you want to be a leader on this? Or do you want to be a dinosaur? Because you will Mm. catch up. Mm. It's just, will you catch up? and make it a competitive advantage for yourselves or will you catch up because you're in serious trouble because you didn't and you are not attracting any female talent because you know what if you don't attract female talent and you don't retain female talent you have effectively got a diluted talent pool that's just Mm. basic yeah if you're only if you're only recruiting promoting and rewarding one type of person doesn't matter what that type of person is by definition you don't have the best talent in the world so you're going to lose so I I would love to see everyone get in the dustpan and brush out very quickly (laughs) and and that what you've just said is true of all diversity isn't it having having a diverse workforce whether that's uh, gender or race or neurodivergence is the key to having that um, blended thinking, isn't it? And having the best possible, having every every angle represented. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm obviously focused. I focus on gender equality because sure. that's what I know best. And I focus on it from the point of view of a white, heterosexual, cis mm. woman, because, because that's what I am. But this is absolutely true across all metrics of diversity. Yeah. Really, you know, I believe above all things, I believe in equality and I believe in, in diversity as a principle. Mm. I believe that a diverse group of people will always come to better solutions and better plans and better results than a non-diverse group of people. And a group of people that is missing diversity from any aspect is going to miss things. It will miss things. Mm. It is just impossible for a non-diverse group to be able to represent the full diversity of a situation or a problem or a solution. Diverse groups mean better discussions, better input, more ideas, better innovation, better Mm -hmm. strategies, better plans, better solutions, better results. So um, absolutely, yes, I I so, so agree with you. I, I do believe that it can be overwhelming for companies who are looking at themselves saying I'm nowhere on diversity I almost Mm. they make excuses for well it's not about all of this it's about diversity of thinking and and it is do you know what there are some there are some places there are some obvious places you can start to make sure you've got some diverse thinking in that room and I, Mm. I do argue that if we if we get gender equality right we won't absolutely won't fix all equality and diversity issues but I think it, it's a really important step and I do believe that a company on or, or an organization where a woman can succeed is much more likely to be an organization where anyone can succeed than an organization where only uh, men can succeed it is not the whole answer but I do believe it gets us a long way on the journey and it and it's opened up the conversation hasn't it it's allowed people to to be aware of their uh undiversity in diverse board and start having those conversations so joe honestly i could just i could just talk to you about this stuff all day i'm so aware of the time and that you probably have a lot to do but it's just how do you fit a conversation like this into an hour there's just so much to discuss isn't there i think i think i'd really like to wrap up just by asking what your what piece of advice you would give to someone who's listening to this let's take let's take a man that's listening to this that does want to start um, making some traction and is uh, feminist curious 
and you know wants to start recognizing that that their own workplace does need some help where 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 would you advise they start what's the best thing they can do so hello to this man i'm um i am um i have so much so much to say to you but um let me say a few, few things firstly if you don't already please acknowledge that this is still an issue no matter how many women you think you're seeing getting ceo roles and running countries i can promise you when you look at the data you're really not it's still fewer than 10 percent of um any leadership position in the world is, is is held by a woman so this absolutely is still an issue but it is also a huge opportunity and it is not a women's issue it is an issue for you it's an issue for all genders. It's an opportunity for all genders because it drives results. It will, if you're running a company or senior in a company, if you become quickly a company or an organization that is run equally at those top levels um, by women and men, all genders, it will deliver you results because of the, the just the, the diversity that that will bring. There is stacks of data to prove that. So mm. not only is there nothing to fear from being a champion of gender equality, there is actually an enormous amount to gain. And that's just looking at through the business lens. Mm. It also is proven to improve. It, it creates better societies. Um, it also leads to better relationships. It, it just, it is, it is just better for everyone so nothing to fear and everything to gain and you know just sign up sign up to be one of my feminists yes. write to me tell me tell me that you are signing up and, you know a few practical things that you can do um obviously you know i've got a huge to-do list in why men win at work for everybody but ending with men because you're the most important because you have over 90 percent of the leadership of the world so without you we get nowhere I have a huge to-do list um, for you, but probably the um, the two big ones that I would pull out is, is firstly, every meeting that you're in, whether it's virtual or real, look around you. First thing you do, look around you, look at the faces. Do you see a male dominant culture? If you see a male dominant culture, train yourself to set the alarm bell off in your head. Problem, I have a problem. I have a problem because this male dominant culture is a self-fulfilling prophecy and the people who don't feel comfortable in this culture are not performing and they can't perform to their best and I'm not getting the best out of them and I this will just keep reinforcing itself and I will never have equality and diversity and I'm going to fix it so do that and then the, the thought I'd leave you with is is a very simple one just Think 50%. If you think 50% in every situation, at recruitment, talent review, um, promotion panels, um, mm -hmm. appointing your team, if you think 50% at every moment, you will not go far wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you're struggling to deliver on that, ask yourself why. I can promise you it's not because there are not women and it's not because there are not talented women and intelligent women and capable women and women who can lead. You have a barrier. You have some barriers that you need to understand. Why are, why are you not why are you not seeing those women? Where are they? How can you bring them through? Um, mm -hmm. And every organization has different ones, but or different ones that are the key issue. But you can find them. And if you're committed to 50%, you can find them and you can overcome them and you can fix this very, very quickly if you're committed to it. So, and as I said, nothing to fear and everything to gain. Perfect. That's perfect. And I think I would urge everyone, I see so many companies that have book clubs and, or even just kind of bookshelves in the office, I would urge them to make this their next book, because I think that's a real, like a collective kind of formal thing where everyone's reading it together would be a really powerful dustpan collection event wouldn't it I think absolutely well obviously I, I I would love that and and not because I care about selling books per se but I do know that it it, it walks 
it, it walks you through whatever gender you are, why this happens, what you're contributing to the problem and how yeah. you can fix it. And um, so I think, yeah, I do believe if, if everyone read it, we would be able to make quite a lot of progress um, I agree. or at least start that start that process which is yeah um, start the conversation start those that. conversations in work Jill thank you so much um where can everyone find you I'm sure that people will want to be checking out more of your stuff where's where's the best place for them to find you so I am on I'm on LinkedIn Jill Witty Collins um I'm on Instagram at Jill Witty Collins I'm on Twitter at Jill Witty Collins um and my website, jillwittycollins.com, and obviously all this information is there. And I do, you know, I, I wrote this, this book, but ultimately for me, it's about action, right? So I, I talk about this a lot, but I also act a lot. I'm a consultant. Yeah. I work with organizations to um, drive gender equality, diversity, um, and I'm an executive coach. I work with individuals. I run workshops. I do all sorts of things um, to actually turn what I've learned into reality and into results. So if yeah. any of those things would be helpful, please do get in touch. Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure that they're all in the show notes. So yeah, I'm sure people who want to get in touch will pop all the links in there and your um, coaching and consultancy work sounds brilliant, much needed in so many organizations both corporate and you know small businesses as well really need this stuff because we're we're leading the way so thank you so much jill thank you for putting the book out in the world thank you for spending over an hour with me now i think this is my longest podcast ever there's just so much to say i talked too much i know no 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 (laughs) no it's absolutely fascinating every time you spoke i had another 10 questions off it so i've had to be quite controlled in uh in what questions i asked but thank you so much and yeah have a great day thank you thanks for having me